Take your Bibles and turn to Leviticus chapter 26. Leviticus 26, we'll be reading uh, verses 1 through 13. That is page 133 in your pew Bible. Leviticus chapter 26. The Bible says, You shall not make idols for yourselves or erect an image or pillar. And you shall not set up a figured stone in your land to bow down to it, for I am the Lord your God. You shall keep my Sabbath and reverence my sanctuary. I am the Lord. If you walk in my statutes and observe my commandments and do them, then I will give you your rains in their season. The land shall yield its increase, and the trees of the field shall yield their fruit. Your threshing shall last to the time of the grape harvest, and the grape harvest shall last to the time of sowing, and you shall eat your bread to the full and dwell in your land securely. I will give you peace in your land, and you shall lie down, and none shall make you afraid. And I will remove harmful beasts from the land, and the sword shall not go through your land. You shall chase your enemies, and they shall fall before you by the sword. Five of you shall chase a hundred, and a hundred of you shall chase ten thousand, and your enemies shall fall before you by the sword. I will turn to you and make you fruitful and multiply you and will confirm my covenant with you. You shall eat old store long, you shall eat old store long kept, and you shall clear out the old to make way for the new. I will make my dwelling among you and my soul shall not abhor you. And I will walk among you and will be your God and you shall be my people. I am the Lord your God who brought you up out of the land of Egypt that you shall not be their slaves. And I have broken the bars of your yoke and made you, make, made you walk erect. May God bless the reading of his word. Some time ago, you and I started a study of the book of Leviticus, and today we come to the end. And what we found as we began the study in this book of Leviticus was that uh, it did not just pick up and... Uh, 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 act as a book on its own, but it was in the middle of a greater work. And so we must understand what God was teaching us in Genesis and Exodus to get Leviticus because it is one section of a larger book, which is the Pentateuch, the first five books of your Bible. And that is a larger or a smaller section of a larger work called the Bible. It all fits together. And so we have to see how it fits together. There's no place that we need to see that more than coming to the conclusion of the book of Leviticus. So as you come to Leviticus chapter 26 and you've heard the text read for us this morning, those first 13 verses and where God is renewing his covenant with his people, you must understand the context that this is coming to us in, in the book, in the story of the nation of Israel. And so this morning I want to remind us where we are in the book of Leviticus as we come to this study, what God has been doing and what He is doing, even in the text before us, and that is the picture of where the people are. You have to go all the way back into the book of Exodus to remember with me that God had His people in the land of Egypt. He had taken them there all the way back in the book of Genesis in order to save them, in order to spare their life. God had taken them during a famine By the saving work of Joseph, whom his brothers sold into slavery, God had taken them here to save them, to uh, um, preserve his people. After almost 500 years in the land of Egypt, God had told them that he would bring them out. What happened in that 500 years is that the people of Israel went from being Joseph, king of all of Egypt, second only to Pharaoh, all the way to being slaves and abused 
and abhorred in a nation. They cried out to their God in bondage, and God heard and said, I will deliver. You remember we come into the book of Exodus and see how God chose Moses to lead his people out of Egypt. And when Moses goes to the Pharaoh and says, let my people go, the king, the Pharaoh of Egypt said, I will not let your people go. Who is this God that you're talking to me of? I am God. God began to show Pharaoh and all of Egypt that he indeed was God. So we walk together through the ten plagues and on that tenth plague, God begins to show that He is the one, very clearly, who is the one that our life is responsible to. And He says, I'm going to send the death angel. And I'm going to take the firstborn of everything, man and beast. The firstborn belongs to me. And to show you my power and my authority over my creation, I am going to punish for sin. And those that have put you into bondage, I am going to kill the firstborn because of the sin of the land. And he says to the people of Israel, but I will provide for you a way to escape the punishment that is due to humankind. And so he provided for them the Passover. We celebrated the Lord's Supper last Sunday. And the Passover is pointing us to God's provision of that death angel that is to come. And and taking then the firstborn, which were just signifying that all have sinned, all deserve death, and now God would say in His grace, I will just take the firstborn, but God had said, I will even provide a Passover lamb so that you can escape death. This has been the question of the people all the way from Genesis chapter 3 when Adam and Eve had sinned and and death entered in. Can we ever get around this curse of sin? Is there ever a way for us to be able to get over this curse, to get around this curse, to be forgiven from the death that is ours because we had sinned. And God said, I'm going to show you I am able to do it. And so I'm going to do it through shedding of blood. And so the blood, the life of that lamb, I'm going to exchange for the life of the firstborn in this house. So you put the blood on your doorpost that night. There was deep, deep, deep wailing and weeping and sorrow and grief in the land of Egypt because God sent His judgment. And yet He redeemed, restored, saved, preserved His people. He brought them then out of the land of Egypt because the Egyptians said, we give, you go, get out. And so the people of God were preserved. They were rescued. It's a picture of our salvation, what God does through the blood of a lamb in rescuing us from bondage and saving us. And the people come out of Egypt. God miraculously works even as they come out of Egypt because Pharaoh's heart turned as he saw them go. He says, we're sending all of those who served us away. Go get them. God parts the sea. The people go across on dry land. Pharaoh and his armies come into the sea. And God closes the sea back together and all of Pharaoh's army was killed that night. Can you imagine what was happening in the land of Egypt as God punished sin there even as He restored, redeemed, saved, preserved His people? Can you imagine being there and the awe that you must have of a great God who had brought judgment and yet delivered you. And so the people come, and they come to 
uh, an 11-day walk to Mount Sinai where they are going to meet with their God and they see the presence of God there and they say, we don't want to go up, they're afraid. And so they send Moses and now Moses goes to the mountain and he meets with God while Moses is on the mountain. Not one month has passed. Not one month has passed since they've seen all that God has done and they worship an idol. They say, where is this Moses and where is his God? Make for us an idol that we might worship the one who delivered us. And so they make this idol and Exodus 32 gives us this idea of the punishment of our God for coming out of Egypt and immediately starting to worship something other than the God who had delivered them. You and I should read there not with condemnation. You and I should read in the book of Exodus with identification that it's so easy for us to worship something other than God and we could do it the day after, the week after, the month after we've seen God move in our lives in an incredible way. It's so easy for us to be drawn away from worship of our God. So don't look with condemnation upon Israel there. Look with identification because we too can be drawn away very easily. God there at the base of Mount Sinai brings judgment upon the people. Moses intercedes for the people and God brings forgiveness and he says, I will renew the covenant and he does. There in Exodus chapter 32 and following when Moses has interceded, God begins to renew and somewhere from about Exodus 35 all the way through Leviticus chapter 25, the people of God are listening, hearing from God say, this is now how I am going to relate to you. They have worshipped an idol. God has brought judgment. And now He says, but I will restore. I will meet with you in a tabernacle. It is to be just like this. And they built it just like that. So we're within a month of God punishing them again. We're with just, I mean, it's, it's in recent memory that they had left their God and worshipped an idol. And so we have studied the book of Leviticus. End of chapter, the end of Exodus is here's what the tabernacle is going to be like. Here's how I'm going to meet with you. And then all the way through Leviticus, God says, here's what you do in the tabernacle. If you want to come before me and worship, here are the different sacrifices. Here's how you offer them. Here's the things that you offer with them. Here is the priesthood. Priest, here's how we're going to ordain you. Here is what you're going to do to serve the people. And they're going to lead the people in worship. Now in your everyday life, here's how you handle your marriage. Here's how you handle blood. Here's how you handle sex in life. God is walking us through how to be holy in life. And He's giving Israel this detailed law about how they are now to relate and live before Him in what we call uh, a priestly code, how to worship, and a holiness code, how to live holy before God. And we've said the entire book of Leviticus that this was a law of Moses to the people of God in Israel, and we're under the new covenant, so what does it all mean? All the way through, it is pointed to Christ. All of these sacrifices, all of this holiness code, everything has pointed us to Jesus Christ, the one who will come and fulfill the law perfectly. And now we get to the end of it and we come to chapter 26 and God is going to give the summary of His whole covenant. So from roughly Exodus 35 
all the way through Leviticus 26, we are God giving them the covenant. And now in 26, we're at a renewal of this covenant. So if you want to know a summary of what the Old Testament is like, Leviticus 26 brings us there. Now, some of you already looked ahead and you say, Pastor, how are we ending chapter 26? How and why are you ending with this text and not chapter 27? Well, I encourage you to read chapter 27. We've already mentioned it, but chapter 27 is almost like an appendix to this law that is concluded in 26. And the appendix is just going to tell you, here's about those vows. Remember, we'd already talked about vows. And so when you have a valuation of your... Of your um, sacrifice and evaluation of your own person when we talked about sacrifices and what 27 kind of gives details of how to how to value how to evaluate your sacrifices and how to make vows you read it we mentioned it earlier so that's why we're not going back there we dealt with it when we were dealing with these sacrifices 26 is the summary 27 is appendix to this law so I want us to focus on 26 because it is key for us. The text breaks down into four sections. Let me give them to you, and we'll walk through them. Verses 1 and 2 tells us what we're going to do. It, it kind of sets up the summary. He's going to summarize the two central laws of this entire text. The entire law of Moses is summarized in chapter 26, verses 1 and 2. We'll look at those. Verses 3 through 13 say, here's what happens if you will obey. Here's what happens if you will obey. That's what we read this morning. Beginning in verse 14 through 39, here's what happens if you disobey. And then beginning in chapter, or excuse me, in chapter 26, verse 40, we have here is how you can be restored if you do disobey. Boy, I don't know about you, but I'm looking for verse 40 because I know that I disobey, right? So, four sections. Let's walk through it quickly, and then I want to make some comment. Section one is the section that we uh, just read verses 1 and 2. It is a summary of the covenant. God is renewing the covenant after He's given it to them. And He says, here's the summary. Two central laws. Look at it. Verse 1 is the first one. You shall not make idols for yourselves. Don't make idols for yourself. Don't erect an image or a pillar. Don't set up any figure of stone. Don't bow down to any of this. I am the Lord your God. Don't worship idols. Idolatry is central to what God is bringing us to. Now church, I've reminded you before, I want to say it again because we're going to go there in the end. Idolatry is not only you setting a little figure on the mantle in your home and bowing down to it or coming to a building like this and us setting a Buddha in the middle and us coming and bowing down to it. Idolatry is something that happens in your heart and when you bow in your heart to something that you love or fear or desire more than you love or fear or desire God, it is already an idol in your life. And God says, don't worship idols. You are to worship, which is love, desire, fear, me, more than you love, desire, fear, anything else. Not man's thoughts about you, not money, not relationships, not jobs, not uh, prestige, not position. You are to fear, love, and desire God. So he says, don't make idols. Secondly, coming out of verse, or chapter 25, he says in verse 2, You shall keep my Sabbaths and reverence my sanctuary. 
I am the Lord. It's been a while since we've been together in Leviticus, but if you'll remember in Leviticus chapter 25, we talked about the Sabbath and the year of Jubilee and the celebration of rest and how we were to trust God by obeying Him to rest in the land, to let the land rest, to have a day that we would set aside and say, God, we trust you enough not to go out in the field, not to do what we need to do because we have to eat. But Lord, we're going to trust you to say, it's your field, it's your crops, it's your life, and I'm not going to do anything. And even at this one point, every 50 years, everything is going to go back to its original owner. And God, we're going to trust you for two years to provide enough for us to feed us. And we have no record that the people of Israel ever trusted God enough to do that. I dare say if God were to instruct us to do the same, we'd have a hard time spending a year, two years. We have a hard time spending one hour in our nation just saying, God, I'm not going to do anything on this Sunday morning. I'm not going to do anything other than just worship you. I'm going to trust you enough to come and give my life to you. So we encourage. God says, two laws that will show you trust me. Don't make idols. Honor the Sabbaths. Honor time that I've told you to set apart to worship me. So there's the central laws of this entire Law, so what happens if we obey? Those are just summaries, just two central ones, but all the others go around. What happens if we obey? I want you to look at this for me. I'm not going to hit all of this, but I want you to walk through it with me. In verses 3 and 4, he says, I'm going to give you reins. Look at verse 4, or excuse me, let me, let me back up. You're going to see three major if-then statements in the rest of this text. The first one is in verse 3, if you Essentially, obey. He says, walk in my statutes and observe them and do them then. So if you want to note, if you mark in your Bible, just note, here's the first if-then statement. If you walk in them, if you obey, then, here's what God says, verse 4, I'm going to give rains so that your crops will yield fruit. And the end of verse 5, what is the result? You shall eat your bread to the full and dwell in your land securely. Sounds a lot like Genesis. If you remember Steve reading here, there's a lot here that sounds like the Garden of Eden. In chapter 2, verse 9, excuse me, in chapter 1, verse 29 of Genesis, God says, I'm going to give you every tree of the garden to eat, and you shall eat of it and be full. Here, the covenant says, if you will obey, you shall eat your bread to the full and dwell in your land securely. Look at verse 6. He says, I will give you peace in the land. And at the end of that, he says, I will remove harmful beasts from the land and the sword shall not go through your land. In Genesis chapter 1, verse 26, God says, let us make man in our own image and let us give them dominion over the beasts of the field. Sounds a lot like Eden. It sounds a lot like what God was going to do. He says, if you'll obey, you'll eat to your full and you will not have these harmful beasts in your land. Verse 9, not only that, he says, I'll turn to you and make you fruitful and multiply you and will confirm my covenant with you. Anybody remember God saying in chapter 1, verse 28 of Genesis, you are to be fruitful and multiply. This is what God has commanded His people to do. Here He says, I'll make you fruitful. I'll multiply you. Look at verse 11. Perhaps the greatest promise, I'll make my dwelling among you God said, I'll make you, in Genesis chapter 2, I'm going to make a garden. And God planted the garden. 
and he put the man and the woman in it. In Genesis chapter 3, verse 8, the Bible says, God walked with them as was his habit. Here he says, I will walk among you and will be your God and you shall be my people. Guys, this is covenant language that God says, if you will obey me, if you will obey me, I will do all of this. Well, I wish it stopped there and that you and I could hear and obey. But I'm kind of glad it doesn't stop there. Because if you're like me, I very often hear, but I don't obey. And there's clear instruction about that as well. Keep your Bible open. Let's walk through this. Beginning in verse 14. What are the curses? Here's the second if-then statement. By the way, to summarize, if you hear and obey, you'll have the blessings of Eden in the land of promise. But now, verse 14, if you don't, he says, verse 14, if you will not listen, if you will not do. So there's the words, will you hear and obey? But if you will not listen, and if you will not do all these commandments, if you spurn my statutes, and if your soul abhors my rules, so that you will not do all my commandments, but break my covenant, then, verse 16, I will do this to you. There are five levels of God's punishment. Beginning in verse 16, first level, I will visit you with panic, with wasting disease and fever that consumes the eyes and make the, makes the heart ache. Proverbs 28.1 says, The wicked will flee even when no one pursues. That's what God's saying. I will give you unrest. I talked with someone just last night who said, I know what I need to be thinking. I know what I need to be trusting. But I just have no peace. I just have no rest. You remember God saying back up in verse 6, I will give you peace in the land. Here he says, if you disobey, I will take the peace away. It might be, and it will ultimately be, war. But here, it's turmoil in your mind. He says the first result of your disobedience up to this covenant is that you will have no peace. I'll visit you with panic with wasting disease and fever that consume the eyes and make the heart ache, and you shall sow your seed in vain, for your enemies will eat it. I'll set my face against you, and you shall be struck down before your enemies. Those who hate you shall rule over you, and you shall flee when none pursues. Level one, you're going to have panic in your own heart. Level two, beginning in verse 18. Look at it. He says this a couple of times. Look at verse 18. And if in spite of this... If that's not enough for you to turn, if in spite of this you will not listen to me, I will discipline you again sevenfold for your sins and I will break the pride of your power. You think you have control of your life. You think that you know what's going on. You think that you're the only one that you need. I will break the pride of your power and I will make your heavens like iron and your earth like bronze. In other words, the heavens will not rain and the earth will not bring forth fruit. You will try to plow the land up and it'll be like bronze. You'll try to look to the skies for rain and it'll be like iron. It says, and your strength shall be spent in vain for your land shall not yield its increase and the trees of the land shall not yield their fruit. So what does God say? In the first part, he said, you'll have peace and you'll have rain. Here he says, you'll not have peace. I'll take that away first. If that doesn't work, then I'll take away the rain and you won't have any crops. 
verse 21, third level, but if that doesn't work, then if you walk contrary to me and will not listen to me, I'll continue striking you. And here he says, your multiplication will be done. I will shrink you. Look what he says in verse 22. I'll let loose the wild beasts against you, which shall bereave you of your children and destroy your livestock and make you few in number. So it's the opposite. You'll not multiply, fill the earth, you will shrink. Your roads will be deserted. There'll be no one traveling. Third level, I will not let you multiply. Fourth level, verse 23. And if by this discipline you are not turned to me, but walk contrary to me, then I'll also walk contrary to you. I myself will strike you sevenfold for your sins. Now he's going to take their food. I'll bring a sword upon you that shall execute vengeance for the covenant. And if you gather within your cities, I'll send pestilence among you. You shall be delivered in the hand of your enemy when I break your supply of bread. Ten women shall bake your bread in a single oven. That's how much wheat you'll have. Ten women will bake your bread in a single oven, shall dole it out to your bread again by weight, and you shall eat and not be satisfied. You will not have enough. Keep breaking it. Keep demanding your own way. And there will be further consequences. Verse 27. Finally, fifth level, but if in spite of this you will not listen to me, but will walk contrary to me, then I'll walk contrary to you in fury. And I myself will discipline you sevenfold for your sin. Watch verse 29. Some of you are going to cringe here, so let me just warn you. Verse 29 is very graphic. You shall eat the flesh of your sons, and you shall eat the flesh of your daughters. I'll destroy your high places and cut down your incense altars and cast your dead bodies upon the dead bodies of your idols, and my soul will abhor you. God says, if you will not obey, it is going to get worse than you could ever imagine. People of Israel standing around the foot of Mount Sinai, I'm sure, would say, God, we're going to obey you. We're not going to turn away. We have no intention of going anywhere. Except you turn over with me to Lamentations chapter 4, verse 10, and the Bible says, And the compassionate women, when Babylon lays waste to your land and puts you under siege, under siege the compassionate women boiled their own children, their own dead children, for food. Guys, I'm not trying to be extreme. The Bible is extreme here. But I want you to know God's judgment and what God does in judging us and what we do when God takes His hand away from us is incredibly sick. Verse 32, And I myself will devastate the land so that your enemies who settle in it shall be appalled at it. When people come in, they'll say, how could they live here? How could they live here? So, there's punishment by degrees for disobedience. There's blessings of Eden for obedience. Look at verse 34 before we move on. Then the land shall enjoy its Sabbaths as long as it lies desolate. God says, if you won't obey, I'm still going to bring about my will. I'll still bring it about. And so look at verse 40. Look at verse 40. But 
This is wonderful. If you're writing your Bible, underline verse 40. But if they confess their iniquity and the iniquity of their fathers and their treachery that they committed against me and also in walking contrary to me so that I walked contrary to them and brought them into the land of their enemies, if then their uncircumcised heart is humbled and they make amends for their iniquity, then, here's the last, the the significant if then, if they confess, then I will remember my covenant. My covenant with Jacob and I'll remember my covenant with Isaac and my covenant with Abraham and I'll remember the land. But the land shall be abandoned by them and enjoy its Sabbath while it lies desolate without them and they shall make amends for their iniquity because they spurned my rules and their soul abhorred my statutes. Yet for all of that, when they're in the land of their enemies, I will not spurn them. Neither will I abhor them so as to destroy them utterly and break my covenant with them, for I am the Lord. um, uh, Paul, when he's writing to Timothy, says this to Timothy uh, about our faithful God. He says, this saying is trustworthy. If we've died with Him, we'll live with Him. If we endure with Him, we'll also reign with Him. If we deny with Him, or excuse me, if we deny Him, He'll also deny us. If we are faithless... He remains faithful for he cannot deny himself. That's what he's saying in chapter 25, or excuse me, chapter 26, verse 44. He says, I will not abhor them. I will not destroy them utterly and break my covenant for I am the Lord. God says, even when you're faithless, I will remain faithful to my covenant because I made a promise. And that's where we find ourselves here. God is going to save a remnant. It says, verse 45, I will for their sake remember the covenant with their forefathers whom I brought out of the land of Egypt in the sight of the nations that I might be their God. I am the Lord. How in the world do we apply this? Let me make a couple of statements and I close. Number one, Leviticus chapter 26 is for Israel, not America. Leviticus chapter 26 is for Israel, not America. What do you mean, Pastor? I mean this. We all have ideas about how to make life right. I think that I could convince or or make this statement, and, and all of us would agree, everybody wants plenty and everybody wants security. I might would say everybody wants peace and prosperity, but I don't even know that everybody really wants peace. And I think that the Lord is talking about something here, that security... Everybody in the world, even those who are, who, are, who are breeding chaos, they want security. They want to trust in themselves. They want security. They want prosperity. And that's what Leviticus 26 says. If you obey, you will have security and you'll have prosperity. But you will have to obey me to do it. And we think we want peace and we want prosperity. But we are convinced that we get it in a hundred million different ways. You can watch the movies and find out how we really believe that we get peace and prosperity. I heard one preacher say, there are some that think that they have this formula. If they just say this, then all is well. If you'll just say the magic words. My daughters watch a movie where you say, uh, bippity-boppity-boo and everything's just okay. We think, well, if we do the right thing, then everything's going to be okay. We're going to have the right stuff. All is well in the end. And we read Leviticus 26 and God says to the people of Israel, I can promise you peace and prosperity, but you must believe and trust and obey. You must trust and obey. So what do we know? Well, first, we've got to figure out how you and I 
understand this covenant. This covenant reveals and reminds us of one thing. Listen, no one can live up to God's standards. The people of Israel couldn't do it. You and I couldn't do it. You should be thankful today that you're not under the old covenant. In Matthew chapter 5, Jesus standing on the mount. He comes to the mount. He calls his disciples to him. He does hear what is parallel to what Moses is doing in Leviticus 26. He shows them the law of the kingdom of God. And out all these laws, all these laws, over and over, God says, here's what the kingdom's like. Here's what you're to do. At the end of it, he gives this very familiar text to us. He says, everyone who hears these words of mine and does them is like a wise man who builds his house on the rock. And the rains fall, and the winds blow, and the floods rise, and his house stands. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them is like the foolish man. And when the rains fall and the winds blow and the floods rise, his house will fall and great is its fall. You've just heard five levels of great, how great the fall of Israel will be and was. Read your Old Testament. It was all of those things and more when they disobeyed God. And God says then, if you hear and obey, you'll be like the wise man, your house will not fall. If you hear and disobey, you'll be like the foolish man and your house will fall. And we read that and we hear it preached over and over. Be wise, be wise, hear and obey, hear and obey. And the problem is there's nobody sitting within the sound of my voice that can hear and obey enough to be a wise person that your house will stand. You see, I think Jesus comes to the end of the Sermon on the Mount and just like Moses is coming to the end of the law here in Leviticus 26, and the point is, none of us can obey. No one of us can obey. We need someone who can do it on our behalf. The point of Matthew chapter 7, verse 24 through 27 is this. You're all foolish. Your houses are in trouble. Your lives are falling. Come to the one who is wise. Come to the one whose house will not fall because he is absolutely obedient to the law of his Father. There is one who is holy, and it's Jesus. Come into his house. There's the point of Leviticus 26. It's what reminds us, you can't be holy, I can't be holy, none of us can live up to Leviticus 26. So if you go out of here today thinking, well man, if I just hear and obey, I'll have peace and prosperity, you have missed the point of the Bible. The point of the Bible is, you can't hear and obey. Jesus has done it on your behalf. Come to Him. Believe in Him. Repent and believe. There's the message of the text of Scripture. Jesus is revealing to us in Leviticus 26 that you can't do this. You need someone who can. It should bring us to worship that there is one who has obeyed. There is one who has said, I have obeyed and I will take all of your sin. I will take all of your disobedience and I will give you my obedience. And then as those who have heard and come to Christ and put our faith in Jesus Christ, we come and worship Him and say, God, make us like Jesus. Make me like Him. Help me to trust You and obey You. Help me not to look at my life and think, I've got it under control because I deserve everything Leviticus 26 gives for disobedience and much, much more. That's what I deserve. So we come together. Verse 40, if we confess our iniquity, humble, notice, notice verse 41, if then their uncircumcised heart is humble and they make amends. You can't make amends, but it's been made on your, your behalf. 
What's it called then for? Humble your heart. Lord, my heart goes after so much. I fear what people say. I fear not having this or that. I desire this more than I desire you as evidenced in my loves, as evidenced in the way that I spend my money, as evidenced in the way that I I think. It's evidence in the things that I dream about. God, I love these things. I desire them. Help me, Lord, to desire you more than those things. If you are willing, come to him. Confess. Lord, I can't do it. I need you. Turn to him. Then, verse 42. I'll remember. I'll remember. God always acts on the humble confession of His people. Come to Him. Confess today. Lord, I need Jesus. I can't do it myself. And now some of us need to say today, Lord, we've confessed that. We've come to you. And so, Lord, do make us like Christ. Make me trust you. Make me obedient like Jesus. Because I still know I deserve all of this. But I want, I want, I want, Lord, verses 1 through through 13. I want the blessings of heaven. I want the blessings of Eden. So, Lord, help me not to be idolatrous. Help me to honor you. Help me, Lord, to trust you. That's what the Sabbath was all about. Will you trust God and rest in Him? Help me to trust you. Help me to follow after you. Help me to be like Christ. Trust and obey as believers. Stand with me, every head bowed, every eye closed. We're going to pray together. We're going to have just a time where God can speak to our hearts. Today it might be the day that you would want to come to Him and give your life to Christ. I want to offer that to you. I, I want us to have that opportunity. So for just a few moments, I want to invite you, as Peggy's going to play, I'm going to ask all of us to enter into a time of prayer. God, how would you speak to me through this text? What am I to do? How do I trust you more? How do I become more like Christ? But somebody in this room needs to say, I have never come to Christ. I've never trusted Him to be the wise builder. I've never put my life in His life. I've never wanted to come and be in His house that will stand forever. Today, I want to do that. And so I want to invite you, if that's you, would you step out and walk down this aisle? I'll meet you at the front and we'll walk you through that very decision that Hunter's going to display for us in just a moment. That you die to self and all of your ambition, all of your desire, all of your love, all of your affection say, Lord, fill me with Christ. Fill me with the one who is obedient because I'm going to die to me so that I can be raised to walk with you. God, this is your time. Help us to respond to your word.